Our scripture this morning comes from the 13th chapter of Romans, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love, to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now a moment for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling or drunkenness, not in debauchery or licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but instead... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's God's word for us this morning. Well, when Paul wrote these words to the church in Rome, and really to uh, the entire church in his day, and and, uh, by extension, and by the power of the Holy Spirit to the church in this day, what he was dealing with is a tendency that happens in churches and happens in, in every part of our, uh, our life. To adhere to uh, strictly to the letter of the law and uh, dismiss or miss uh, the spirit of the law. So, for instance, uh, when Jesus was doing his uh, ministry and with his disciples, there was an incident that occurred where his disciples were hungry and In Jewish life, uh, part of the requirement for folks that were farmers was that after they harvested their field, they were to leave uh, gleanings in the field so that people who were hungry, people who didn't have anything to eat, could make their way through after the harvest was completed, and whatever was left, they were entitled to that, and they gleaned then uh, from the uh, what remained, so that they might have bread to eat. So on this particular day, the disciples were hungry, and they walked through a field, and they gleaned, and, and they gathered. And in the process of doing that, uh, the Pharisees became upset. And they went to Jesus, and they said, what the heck's going on here? You're a holy man. You're a rabbi. You should be telling your people that this is not acceptable behavior. This is wrong. The problem was that it was a Sabbath. And gleaning fields was considered work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Hungry or not. That's where we, uh, you may remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees. Well, remember this. Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
In other words, people count. People and their needs count. God's greatest concern is for people. God's greatest love for all his creation is for that created part that uh, we call humankind. And so, when Paul writes to the church, he says, yeah, there, there, there are all these rules. And in Jewish life, uh, we saw the Ten Commandments in our uh, introductory video. But in Jewish life, those Ten Commandments were expanded. There were literally hundreds of rules that had uh, grown up over the course of time around the Ten Commandments. How exact, well, how exactly do we keep these commandments? And, and so for, for every single circumstance that anybody could think about, a rule was created to cover that circumstance. And Paul said to a church that was trying to figure out what this idea of grace meant, what this idea you know, of genuine forgiveness meant, what this idea of putting other people first beyond your own needs, what all that meant, Paul says, you know what? It can all be summed up in the simple, uh, simple words, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And working out what that means personally for you and collectively for the church and putting it into practice is one of the most urgent tasks that we face today in our culture. And it's worth taking a look at the meaning of Christian love. Because Christian love is modeled after Jesus. So in Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25, shortly after Jesus has begun his ministry, we read that he is going about areas that Jewish rabbis typically didn't travel in. Galilee, Syria, the Decapolis, that's Gentile territory. And that's where Jesus uh, kind of begins. Going to people and going to places you didn't typically go. Preaching and teaching to people that typically didn't get to hear teaching and preaching from holy men. And healing people. And if uh, in those verses, when you read them, it becomes evident that there aren't any requirements. That nobody who is healed has made a confession of faith at that point. They haven't followed any rules in order to qualify for healing. It's entirely at the initiative and the grace of God. So, we model Christian love, first of all, on Jesus and his response to people, all people, regardless of who they were. No distinctions made. No rules about who you could associate with and who you couldn't associate with. Or who you could heal or who you couldn't heal. It was entirely at the initiative and grace of God. And then in Mark 10, 
the 13th through 16th verse, we have the story about Jesus who reprimands his disciples because they won't let children come to him. Children were non-people, non-persons. To the extent they had any value or worth at all, it was economic. They, They were measured in economic terms. The more kids you had, the more people you had to work in the fields, work around the house. They had value in that way. But culturally, until they reached a certain age, uh, they were non-persons. And so the disciples, under the rules, rightly pushed the children away. They followed the rules. And then Jesus says, wait a minute. We're, all people are welcome to come, especially children who typically don't have any control over over their own lives other than than, uh, the the control that exists in their lives is is imposed upon them. And hopefully it's imposed upon them by great parents, parents who love them and care for them. But we're not keeping children away. We're not going to do that. I can't imagine living in a a culture and society that would measure children in, in economic terms. You know, you won't, won't let children stay because they take jobs away, or we perceive they take jobs away. And then you want them to stay because they add value to the economy. But you want to send them away because of rules. And there's no sense of love for neighbor. Love that does no wrong. Love does not do wrong to a neighbor. There's no sense of that. Well, Jesus says, wait a minute. We're not shoving anybody away, especially children. Let them come to me. And then in Luke 9, he says to his disciples who are uh, trying to position themselves for, uh, for greatness, or being first in line. Well, which one of us, Jesus is asked by his, uh, his disciples, who you would think by this time would know better. He's asked, uh, which one of us is going to be first? Which one of us is going to get to sit at your right hand? Who's going to get to do that? And Jesus says, well, you know, discipleship means giving up your own ambitions and taking on the demands of faithfulness to Jesus. To me, Jesus says to his disciples. Discipleship means giving up your own ambitions and following and being faithful. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, John doesn't mince any words here. He's very direct. If you read uh, and look at verse 20 there, those who say, this is functional uh, versus formal theology. Okay, Formal theology is what you say you believe. I believe, I love God. That's formal. That's what I believe. 
Functional is how you live that out, what you do with that. So, the formal statement, John says in this verse 20, those who say, I love God, that's formal. I love God. I believe that. And then he comes to the functional part. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. You can't do both. You can't say you love God and hate brothers and sisters. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So the meaning of Christian love is our functional theology, what we do, how we act, has to match our formal theology. What we say, we believe. So, part of uh, exercising that love is knowing what time that we live in. Paul talks about that a little bit in verse 11 and beyond. Uh, We live in a difficult time. We live in a challenging, challenging time and sometimes a, a very confusing time. That is the time that we live in. We're not unique in that regard. People, Christian people, have been challenged over the centuries by difficult times. My grandparents, my parents lived during the Depression. My grandparents experienced it, I'm sure, in a much different way than their children. My parents experienced it. I know they did. And then can you imagine living through that and then uh, on the heels of that, oh, here comes World War II. The whole world at war. Talk about difficult times, challenging times, confusing times. Now, we live in challenging times. Make no mistake about it. But we're not the only ones. So, so, so ridiculous statements like, This is the first time in the history of the world that something like this has ever happened. Are you kidding me? You know anything about history? We don't have to look that far back in our own history to know challenging times have always been a part of living. And what Paul says to the Romans is we need to reject darkness and make love our light. We need to put on the armor of light, Jesus Christ. Christians believe that a new day dawned when Christ was born, came into this world. And that changed everything. Changed everything and continues to change everything. So we as Christians, we put on the armor of light. We put on Christ. And we make our way forward. Now, I'm going to do a little quick little poll here. Some of you will remember about 30 or so years ago, this was wildly popular. It was based on a book that was written in the 19th century by a man named Charles Sheldon. It was called In His Steps. And it probably 
the, the thing that came out of that, that book and what would ring more true to your ears is the, the phrase, what would Jesus do? So 30 or so years ago when this, this movement was, was at its pinnacle, wildly popular, how many of you had a refrigerator magnet or a bumper sticker or a bracelet or a you know, necklace or something uh, that said, you know, maybe just have the initials, WWJD. How many of y'all had that? I had one. All right. Good many of us did. And, and maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe because we asked, asked that question and began to ask that question, uh, it, almost as quickly as it, it came, you know, to the surface, maybe it was just too hard, you know, to, to be challenged by that question. What would Jesus do? So it was better. I don't even know where my WWJD bracelet is. Or refrigerator. That's all gone now. I, I mean, it's, I don't know where it is. And, and maybe you still have yours. I, one of the people in first service said they did still have theirs uh, this morning after service was over. What would Jesus do? You may have a hard time figuring out the answer, but you have to ask the question. That's what Jesus Christ challenges us to do. Ask the question. Struggle. Doesn't mean the answer is going to be easy or simple. In fact, it may be, if you may get an answer, it might be the, the answer might be the hardest thing that you've ever had to do in your life once you ask the question. What is, Lord, what is it that, that you would have me to do? And the Lord answers and says, no, 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 what's option two? You know, please, let's go to chapter two, page two, something else. It may be the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do. What would Jesus, you have to ask the question struggle to figure out the answer. Everything can be summed up in the simple, not easy, simple phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Praise God. Let's pray.